Welcome back to another episode of the Jacob Johnston Show. So, as always, uh, as come custom to my podcast episodes, uh, you may hear my kids in the background either jumping around uh, as it's noisier since we switched to hardwood floors, or they're screaming because they are fighting with each other. I have three boys. They're home all day, every day. Very little I can do about it. I tried recording these late at night, and then my three-year-old would all of a sudden decide he's not tired and refuse to go to sleep until about three in the morning. So it doesn't really seem to matter what time of the day I record. That seems to be the time of the day when they decide that they're going to be noisy. So I'm just going to do everything that I can to try and edit out as much of any noise that they may be producing, and we'll just go with it. All right, so let's go ahead and get into today's episode. So one of the interesting things that keeps coming up from time to time is older people asking, why are young people so crazy? Why are they so radicalized? Why is it that they think that violence is okay in the pursuit of a political goal? And I get why they want to ask that question, because it does seem that there is so many radicalized young people who are just emotionally immature and they can't stand the idea of anybody disagreeing with them. And they are just completely and totally intolerant, violently intolerant of other people's views. And we can talk about all the institutions. In fact, we will talk about all the ways in which they have been radicalized. But I just want to go ahead and point one thing up front to any of you older people out there. And I realize this is interesting because, you know, I've always been labeled as, you know, a millennial. And then later on, maybe a zennial, you know, a micro generation, you know, and yet here it is, you know, I'm just a few years short of 40. And so, you know, calling young people, old people, I'm kind of getting in the middle of the road here, but I I just want to go out and point out to all of these, you know, uh, older people out there, you know, I'll say maybe 50 plus, you know, maybe the boomers or Gen Xers who are going out there and asking why young people are so radicalized. And I just want to say, well, it's because of you. You're the reason they are so radicalized. The youth is a reflection on you. I mean, let's think about this. Which generation was filling up all the schools and all the teachers' positions while all of the millennials and now Gen Z? You know, which generation was fill our generations were filling at the education role, the educator role, teaching them how to act and behave. So maybe the question isn't why are young people so radicalized, but maybe the question should be why were old people so radicalized and, and passing on this radical view and ideology of the world onto the young people? I mean, have you ever thought about that? Have you ever gone through and realized that, you know, whenever you hear, you know, older generations talk about how bad the youth is today and wondering how they got the way they are, and it's like, who raised them? Who taught them? All right? Think about that for a moment. Now, yes, you know, is the youth become very radicalized? Very much so. But why is that? It's because schools have replaced education with indoctrination, where they teach altered version of history in order to get them to hate the United States, to blame all of the problems throughout the entire history of the world on European white people, on Caucasian, 
They're the source of every problem in the world. Really? Really? Is that, geez, I wonder why people are going off and thinking that, hey, everything is so horrible. Or going off and trying to tell them that any unequal outcomes, regardless of what level or uh, different levels of efforts were put into it, is a form of unfairness, corruption, an unequal system, or a sign of oppression. You know, going off and trying to teach them or trying to claim that the United States is systemically racist. Do you know why they use the term systemically racist or, you know, uh, systemic uh, oppression? It's so that they don't have to provide any specific examples. It's so that they don't have to go off and show you any evidence to back up what they claim. It was a term that came up in the 1970s by the Black Panther Party as a way to avoid ever having to provide any examples to back up their claim. Because if it's systemic, it means that you can't just point to one policy. It's a accumulation of all the policies. Therefore, you know, there isn't a single specific example. It's the entirety, the whole. And the whole says, hey, you know what? People have unequal outcomes. Never mind that people are putting in unequal efforts. Never mind that people have different levels of intelligence, you know, IQ, social IQ, uh, different levels of education, different talents and skills, and mismatch, whatever. But they're trying to go off and say that if the world isn't handed to you on a silver platter, it's because you're being oppressed. You know, and it's because the schools are going off and teaching this critical race theory garbage. You know, which again is just, or, you know, as that itself actually is racist. You know, critical race theory is them preaching racism, but then trying to say it's okay to be racist as if you're certain skin colors, right? And the only way not to be racist is to hate certain skin colors or you know, if you're a certain skin color to hate yourself and to basically try to, you know, create a system in which you oppress yourself, right? And that just because of the color of your skin, you are a hateful racist bigot. And because they can't provide any examples for the vast majority of the United States, right? The vast majority of people, they can't provide any actual examples. So they move from systemic, you know, oppression or systemic racism to unconscious bias. See, you know, you don't understand that your bias is unconscious. Therefore, you are racist, but you just don't know it. So you need to be taught about how you're racist. And then they come up with excuses of why anything under the sun that you do is somehow racist. But it's only racist if you do it. Someone of a different skin color doing the exact same thing, saying the exact same thing. Well, that's not racist. You know. But, you know, they keep trying to come up with this whole America is hateful people, the people in it are hateful people, and it's all systemic, it's all unconscious. Therefore, you know, we can't really point to a specific example, you know, to back up these claims. And so then you go off and you realize that through the school system and through these indoctrination camps that they have become so radicalized because they are just taught without evidence or taught to think that, if you just make a claim, it's somehow true and that it's not on you to provide any evidence of your claim. It's on other people to disprove it. That's their theory of science. Science isn't about what you can prove. Science is what is what you can disprove. 
right? Which is the exact opposite of science. But they go off and say, hey, anything you say, it's true. You know, it's your truth. And, you know, you don't have to prove it. Other people have to disprove it, but other people can't disprove it because they just, you know, it's unconscious. It's systemic. You know, it's just, you know, if there's any unequal outcome, you know, then somehow what you say is true, you know, about oppression, right? And then after school, you know, take a look at our news media, right? Take a look at our news media and look at any segment on any cable news network or take a look at any left-wing website or left-wing, you know, alternative media, whether that's left-wing YouTubers, left-wing podcasters, whatever. Take a look at any segment that they produce on any topic. What is it? They just read a headline and then tell you that it's somehow racist or sexist or xenophobic and how, you know, such and such is an existential threat to your life. It will lead to your literal death if anybody who disagrees with you is allowed to talk or is allowed to implement any type of policy. There is almost no facts, no data, no information being produced on these left-wing sites. Just like on CNN, there's almost no actual facts or information ever shown or produced on those cable news networks. It's just, here's an event that happened, you know, oh, um, Trump visited the Lincoln Memorial, for example. That will be the headline. And then they just go through and try and explain, well, this is racist. This is xenophobic. This is, you know, the, you know, systematic, you know, white supremacy and patriarchal uh, oppression of women and people of color. I mean, that's the entire discourse. It's, I have an opinion, and if you disagree with it, you're a poo-poo head. That's how they were raised in the schools. And then that's what is reinforced on every liberal outlet, you know, on cable news, websites, liberal YouTube channels, liberal podcasts, and even entertainment. You know, entertainment, you know, the Hollywood celebrities, the Vanity Fairs, you know, uh, all of this. This is what they are being subjected to day in and day out. And the vast majority of that, starting from when they were very young, was what? Old people preaching that. Why? Because they were trying to push their own political ideology. They wanted to go off and say, hey, this is how we're going to eliminate our political opponents so that we can ram through uh, our dumb butt ideas. Is that we're going to teach these young people that you know, only this political view is valid and anybody who disagrees with this is a Hitler. You know, they're going to commit genocides of millions and millions of people. And then you wonder why when they become adults, have that being preached to them their entire life. And as adults, it continue to be preached to them on every place they go for information because they're taught that any, any opposing views, information from the other side is evil hate speech. And, you know, you got to make sure you avoid it at all costs. So you wonder why after that, that's their entire education and upbringing, why it is they're so hateful and radical and completely intolerant. So the question isn't really, why are young people so radicalized and why is it that they have come to accept violence? 
as a means to pushing a political goal. But the question should be, why were you boomers and Gen Xers? Why was that what you were teaching them? Why was that what you were, you know, instilling upon them? Why, why was that actually your views? That, that's the main point here. That was the view of the boomer generation, at least on the left. And that's what they passed on to the youth. So, yes, I mean, you can't blame, you know, let me uh, compare the young uh, to a dog uh, for a moment, but, you know, this is just an analogy. If you go off and you smack a dog around for a long time, eventually, what's going to happen? They're going to attack back, right? If you teach them to attack, 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 and you teach them to attack based off of, you know, this situation, then they're going to attack. I mean, it's not science. Well, I mean, it is science, but it's not rocket science, right, to try and figure this out. Now, just for uh, some examples here, example number one of why it is young people are getting so radicalized. Vanity Fair writer suggests Amy Coney Barrett, the Supreme Court nominee, would support executing women for getting abortions? What's that? Oh, so now, you know, first of all, we can discuss about, you know, abortion and how abortion is not actually health care or anything to do with reproductive rights, right? And how it's just blatantly murder. But, okay, you know, setting aside that, you know, you know that. All right, let's go ahead and take a look at this. What are they doing? Well, because Amy Coney Barrett, just like every judicial nominee, says that they were not going to, you know, offer, you know, up their, you know, how they would rule in hypothetical situations on legal cases that may or may not come before the court. You know, which, you know, which, you know, I got to say, Ruth Bader Ginsburg kind of set that rule, right? And now you're trying to use anybody who goes by the Ruth Bader Ginsburg rule and try and use that against them, but only if they're conservative judges. If they're liberal judges, oh, that is high standards of ethics. You know, that is absolutely right. No justice, no Supreme Court nominee should tell in advance how they're going to rule about a particular case because, well, they shouldn't because Every case is different. You could have two cases involving abortion, right? Two lawsuits to try and restrict, you know, access to abortion. But they have very different details about it. And so one may be constitutional and legal and another unconstitutional and illegal under our current laws. I, which, you know, there really is no constitutional right to an abortion. But in any event, they're going off and trying to suggest that because Amy Comey Barrett refused to answer any questions about how she would rule in cases involving abortion, that that means that she would support capital punishment, you know, and executions for women who got abortions. Really. So this is how the left goes off and attacks people, right? Oh, you don't agree with me, oh, they're going to kill you. They're going to kill you if you do this. They're going to kill you, you know, and execute you if you get abortions. 
Should they get, and then you wonder why it is they start getting so radicalized. You know, this is the messages they grew up hearing, right? You know, so if all you hear is the other side or anybody who disagrees with you is going to kill you if they get their way. Well, if you believe everything is an existential threat to your life, then yes, you know, when situations come up, you're going to act violent and extreme because you think you are defending your life, that your life is in jeopardy. And so, I mean, it's no, it's no surprise here. So that is example number one. All right. Example number two. Democrats take the Senate floor overnight to protest Amy Coney Barrett. No hyperbole. It's life or death stakes uh, being reported by Breitbart here. So what's going on? Well, let's see here. What generation would Senator Schumer, Senate Majority Leader Schumer, fit into? So what's his message to young people? Well, Democrats took the Senate floor overnight Sunday to protest Judge Amy Coney Barrett's nomination to the Supreme Court, warning that Americans are facing life or death stakes. Really? Life or death stakes. If she takes, if she gets confirmed, it's life or death. Okay. And followed up by Chris Murphy. Yes, we fight to the end. No hyperbole. It's life or death stakes. And I have the graveyard shift overnight on the Senate floor. If you're up between 2 and 5 a.m., tune in. So here it is. You got Democrats taking to the Senate floor and tweeting out. And these are our elected leaders sending out tweets that says, this is life and death if Amy Comey Barrett gets elected to, or not elected, but gets appointed to the Supreme Court. It would be the death of Americans. And this is how young people have been raised. Raised to think this way. Raised to believe that any time, you know, the Democrats don't get their way, it's an existential threat to their life. And it goes to the very, very top here of the left, of the Democrat Party, stoking fear, stoking violence, trying to incite violence from the moment they enter the school system. Uh, Yep, there's one kid making a big thump as my four-year-old jumping off the couch going, boom. Okay, but anyways, it goes straight to the top. And, you know, stoking fear, inciting violence, making everyone feel like their life is in literal danger if the Democrats do not get their way, you know, such as former uh, officials of the Obama administration. So let's hear what Valerie Jarrett has to say. Well, so let's, okay, let's start there. What is the election scenario that keeps you up at night? The, the thing that you're afraid of happening? Well, of course, I'm afraid that President Trump might win and that the American people do not turn out to vote. And that worry has, of course, been exacerbated by the COVID-19 and so many people trying to figure out how to vote in a safe way. And so I worry that they won't turn out to vote. What about um, sort of more Baroque scenarios where, say, someone doesn't concede the election or not all votes are counted? Well, this is a problem as well. Look, um, one of the strengths of our democracy is that we've always had smooth transitions of power that you can run a hard campaign, but when the campaign is over, 
then you move on. And so it's a little troubling that President Trump, a little, it's deeply troubling that President Trump has been kind of saber-rattling about, well, maybe if he doesn't win, that must mean it was an unfair election. Now, first off, did you notice that in Valerie Jarrett's mind, the only way that Trump could win re-election is if there's low voter turnout. If people just stay home because they're too concerned about COVID-19, the complete and total arrogance of the left and how, oh, Republicans only win if there's low voter turnout. Uh, no, Republicans can win with high voter turnout just because people actually agree with Republicans. I mean, this, this isn't hard to figure out here, but notice how she goes off and tries to say that Trump is a threat to the peaceful transition of power. Really? What have the Democrats been doing for years and years now since Trump won the 2016 election? Hmm. Let's see here. Who threatened the peaceful transition of power? Could it be that those after Trump won the Electoral College and the election tried petitioning the Electoral College to ignore the votes of the people and deny Trump the presidency? Hmm? Could, could that be considered a threat to the peaceful transition of power? Or to spark uh, a spying operation uh, by our intelligence community to try and dig up dirt for the Democrats to use in order to remove Trump from office? Or how about the entire Mueller probe that was based off of Russian disinformation that the Democrats paid for? You know, so they're going off and trying to say that Trump is out there and is a threat to democracy and the peaceful transition of power when they are the ones who have actually engaged in the attempts to undermine the elections, overthrow the results of the election, and oust the president because they just didn't like the fact that he won. You know, and yet, you know, they go out there and they try to act like they're high-minded intellectuals. They're a bunch of buffoons. But this is what is being preached. These are the type of people that were in office for a large part of, you know, the now college-age students, you know, when they were growing up through grade school, you know, these were the type of people, these insane, radical, you know, leftists who lack any sense of self-awareness, these, you know, frauds and liars were the ones that were in charge of the education system. And then you wonder why so many young people have grown up to be so radically far gone, inability to operate in a, in a society uh, based off of ideas who are just violently intolerant. Now, look, some of you are going out there and say, yeah, but Trump does kind of, you know, attack, you know, maybe or question the integrity of the election. Okay. Well, geez. Hmm. 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 I wonder why that is. And I wonder, could it be because every presidential debate, uh, the moderator is in the tank for the Democrat and it's a two-on-one? Could it be because we find dumpsters full of ballots cast for Republicans just thrown away? Could it be uh, all of the voter fraud? You know, people being caught on undercover video admitting to voter fraud. You know, what about, you know, we have you know, articles here of people confessing, you know, of course they remain anonymous, 
you know, confessing to how they get away with voter fraud, right? And so you take a look at it. You take a look at the whole situation. So, yes, there is a lot of election fraud, and there is reason to cast doubt on the legitimacy of an election because the left deliberately undermines elections. They have dead people still on the voter rolls and refuse to remove dead people from the voter rolls. Why? Because they know somebody's going to vote in their name anyways. I mean, every election we see dead people voting. And yet, the left still denies Christianity. I mean, every election year they see the dead rise from the grave to cast a vote. Why don't they believe in the resurrection? And of course, whenever a Republican wins, what do they do? They try to go through and say, hey, this is, he won because of voter suppression. He's not a legitimate president. You know, it was voter suppression. So if they lose, they always have the excuse, you know, voter suppression, you know, systemic racism, you know, suppressing the vote, voter intimidation, or, you know, foreign interference, Russia, you know, our democracy is under threat. We lost our democracy due to foreign interference, or you lost your voice in government because corrupt bureaucrats suppressed the vote. So, yes, of course, of course. You know, people being subjected to this from the time they are, what, four, five years old to 25 years old? You know, of course they're going to be radicalized. Of course they're going to believe that violence, you know, is the answer when anything that goes against what you personally believe is an existential threat to your life. So we circle back to the main question here. You know, which isn't why are young people so radicalized, but why is it that old people were so radicalized and pass that along to the young generation today? The leftist indoctrination has been so horrible that there's actually about half of the youth right now believe that being pregnant is a disease and that babies are nothing more than parasites. Think about that. You know, and then we go through and we take a look at poll trying to say that 40% of the country, you know, uh, 40% of Republicans or 40% of Democrats would not accept, you know, if they're uh, an election result in which their candidate lost. Well, I mean, it really kind of depends on the situation, you know, uh, for Republicans. I mean, as long as there was no instance of actual fraudulent activities, But we've already seen lots of instances of fraudulent activity. I mean, come on here. But we we go through and we take a look at that, and it just goes to show how polarized the country is. I mean, the country is completely polarized, and social media really hasn't helped. You know, the fact that social media and all these tech companies have gone through and decided that they're going to suppress anything that they just don't like, anything that doesn't align with their political views and ideology. And then, of course, they want to go off and call it hate speech. So it was interesting when I was listening uh, to the Hills Rising program. And they had someone on there, and they were asking them about, well, should hate speech be censored? And he brought up a good point. You know, first of all, online discourse is basically a reflection of the culture of the country. Yes, I understand that. You know, and that, you know, does make a good point, and I got distracted there by my phone. I forgot to mute it, but okay, we'll just continue on. You know, but he goes on and says it's a reflection of the country, but 
you know, really, you know, hate speech by and large is in the eye of the beholder. You got at least half the country believing that anybody who posts anything that disagrees with them is somehow hate speech. You know, and so it becomes the eye of the beholder situation. So who's going to determine if you decide that you're going to ban hate speech, you know, like they do in uh, Europe and where they can actually throw you in jail and fine you if they do not like what you say? You know, who's going to define hate speech? And by the way, the countries that do have hate speech laws, they're not less racist. In fact, they tend to be more racist because people are not allowed to express or engage in public debate on how to handle things like immigration. And since they can't have public debate, what happens? They have pent up anger. They, you know, have resentment over the things that are going on. And by and large, they have less racial and ethnic diversity in their government. Okay. So hate speech laws don't work at all. They just push it into underground conversations. But let's go ahead and take a look at this whole idea a little bit more about suppressing hate speech. Well, then how do you define hate speech? You know, do you really think that we're going to be able to come up with, you know, a common definition of, you know, what hate speech is? Heck, half the country can't even tell the difference anymore between a man and a woman. They don't even have a common agreement on, you know, men and women, boys and girls. So if as a country, we can't even come to an agreement on a simple biological and scientific fact about men and women, you know, you know, the genders and the differences of the genders and how the genders are classified or identified. We can't even come to an agreement on that anymore because of the left has become so extreme and so radicalized. And yet you think we're going to be able to come to an agreement on what is and is not considered hate speech? I mean, it, and who would be in charge of making that determination? Who would be in charge of deciding what is considered hate speech? I mean, yes, okay, you might be able to find some common ground on some things that would be considered hate speech, you know, clearly hate speech. But the left is always continually going through and trying to push and categorize everything as hate speech. You know, just, you know, any policy that they disagree with is hate speech. You know, and so if they're going through, what they're trying to say is, we're eliminating the First Amendment altogether is what they're trying to do. I, it, we're never going to come together and agree on what is and isn't considered hate speech. Or how about fact checking? You know, oh, we're just trying to make sure there isn't any misinformation online. Right. But you're using fact checkers that routinely get their fact checks wrong or lie about their fact checks or not even checking the facts, but trying to read between the lines of what they think is being implied by a statement. And then, you know, after they make up in their own head what they think that implication is, then they go and debunk it. So they just make something up in order to try and claim it is false and attribute them making up portions what they're fact-checking, you know, and trying to attribute it towards a certain politicians that they don't like. And so how are you going to go ahead and, you know, address this? Well, the only way to de-radicalize people or de-radicalize, 
you know, the left is to just get rid of all forms of online censorship. Online censorship breeds. It breeds radicalization. I mean, think about this. Throughout their entire education, they were only given one viewpoint, one way to look at things, and taught any other way is evil. And then online censorship allows them to isolate themselves in a bubble that only, you know, only the agreed views, only views that they agree with are allowed online. If you're never exposed to the other side, the opposing views, the counter arguments, the other data, you know, or actual data or facts. It's hard to learn how to be tolerant. If all you're exposed to is just only like-minded people and told that any other view is invalid or to be ignored, it becomes hard to be tolerant of other views. And it becomes hard to learn how to handle disagreements and hard to handle anybody who doesn't agree with you because your entire life has always been surrounded by people who are raised to think exactly the way you think, to believe exactly the way you believe. And because your beliefs have never been challenged, you don't know how to handle that. Or because you're, for the first time, being exposed to facts and data that debunk your long-held beliefs. You don't know how to handle that. And it's because of the isolation, the bubbles, and the censorship that people have become so radicalized because they no longer know how to handle any form of disagreement. And that is the fault of the older generation that has been running the education system, raising the kids. And you know what? It's no wonder that you know the leaders of these tech companies who have been raised by the older generation on to be intolerant of any other views and get attacked whenever, whenever they start showing any signs of being tolerant or, you know, uh, to opposing ideas or to encourage debate and discussion. They're immediately attacked and vilified. And all of a sudden they're going to become social outcasts among their millionaire and billionaire peers. Oh, we can't have that. You know, so it's because of all of this that young people have become so radicalized. They don't know how to handle disagreement because they're not exposed to opposing views. You know, they're not exposed to, you know, even cultural differences, really, because everyone on the left is like the board. They want to say, we have a diversity. Well, diversity in looks, but not diversity in thought. You know, it doesn't matter. They have people who look, who, you know, look all different, but they all think the same. You know, so, you know, you have to, you know, immerse yourself and, you know, challenge your beliefs by going off and listening to other opinions, other viewpoints. That's the only way you learn how to be tolerant and how you learn to engage in the civil society. And that's what they have been prevented, deprived of. Okay. So now I'm going to go ahead and move on here because I've spent, you know, too much of this uh, episode talking about, you know, why young people have been, become so radicalized and intolerant. 
know. So you know, CNN. Uh, <laughs> you know, they have the audacity to go out there and start trashing Q Annan. You know, and denouncing you know the idea of fake news and disinformation. CNN, CNN. Okay, now first of all, I don't know who Q Annan is. I don't even know a single thing that Q Annan has ever published. You know, when people started talking about Q, Q, who's Q? And I'm like, Q, that's a fictional character on Star Trek. You know, he's like the he's like Loki. You know, but only instead of being a god, he's just an alien race with seemingly unlimited abilities. You know, that's what I was thinking when this was first coming up. I was like, why are they asking about a Star Trek character? Okay, but they go off and they talk about QAnon and, you know, saying he's a conspiracy nut. Maybe he is, maybe he's not. I would have to actually take a look at it to try and figure out what the heck they're even talking about with QAnon. But the idea that CNN is out there you know, attacking someone as a conspiracy theorist. Okay, CNN, the past four years, you've done nothing but run conspiracy theories. You know, so, I mean, it's like, another way to say this is, you're the, CNN, you're the QAnon. If QAnon is a conspiracy nut and a complete loony, you know, guess what, CNN? You're the QAnon of the left. Right? Let's go on. Now, again, I don't know. I'm just going, let's say we assume that QAnon is, as they say, you know, a conspiracy nut, a crazy person, whatever. Let's just, you know, for the sake of argument, take them at face value. You know, again, I don't even know a single thing this QAnon has ever published. I don't know anything about this person. But let's say that's true. Well, then, you know, CNN, you are the QAnon of the left, if that is true. You are the fake news. You are the disinformation. So I go through and I take a look at CNN, you know, going ahead and making these attacks. And I'm just like, what, are you jealous? Is is that your whole problem? You know, you couldn't cut it as journalists. You know, you were constantly being beaten out by, you know, uh, conservative news, you know, Fox News. And you were being beaten out by NBC and MSNBC. So you decided, you know, if we can't cut it as journalists, we're going to engage in the fake news, disinformation, and conspiracy game. But it turns out you're not even good at that either. You know, you're not even the top of that game. So you sold out all journalistic ethics, abandoned journalism, became fake news conspiracy theorist TV, and you're still, you know, you're still not number one at anything. You're still just middle uh you know, middle, you know, of the ratings, you know, you, you know, so what is this, a jealousy thing? You're just going out and complaining about all the people who are better at doing conspiracy theories than you. I mean, is that the issue here? Oh man. Now, of course, you know, there's a big hubbub out there, you know, talking about how president Trump is, I know, I know, I know, I know, no segue here. That President Trump is planning on removing uh, Chris Ray as FBI director after the election. Okay, and you know that—that's the question. And you know it, it is absolutely not surprising that after re-elections, uh, presidents tend to change the cabinet, switch things up a bit. 
there's been a lot of turnover in the Trump administration. You know, so, you know, what's the big news? Oh, FBI director is supposed to be, not, the FBI director serves at the pleasure of the president. Right. And Christopher Ray hasn't exactly been a great FBI director. I mean, he's not as corrupt as Comey by any means, but he has no interest in the truth. He has no interest in cleaning the house of corruption. You know, all he's doing is, okay, okay, we may not continue the corruption, but we're not going to acknowledge past corruption. He's more interested in trying to go through and, you know, I guess protect the so-called name of the FBI rather than going after or removing people that undermine the name and credibility of the FBI. You know, he's just going, okay, we just won't engage in any more corruption, but we're still going to cover up all the past misdeeds. And he, he's been, you know, he's, he hasn't been the FBI director that we want him to be, which is to pursue truth, to clean the house, to eliminate corruption, you know, to actually investigate crimes. You know, he has no interest in that. He's just, uh, you know, as it turns out, he's just another swamp rat creature. He's perfectly fine with corruption because uh, that's all he knows. It's business as usual, you know, in D.C. So, yeah, I would support removing Christopher Ray. And how about appointing someone like mm, another William Barr type person to the FBI? No, someone who will clean the house and eliminate corruption from the ranks, who's more interested in the truth rather than protecting the perceived dignity of the institution. Okay. Now, here's an interesting story that has come about. Uh, This one is from Breitbart, and it's an interesting, you know, it's it's just interesting and very thought-provoking. And it also has a lot of truth here. You know, and this is a former conservative party leader warns China's evil regime using pandemic to increase global power. And so, as we all know, the global pandemic started off in China. Now, there's a lot of, you know, going back and forth as to whether it was manufactured as a bioweapon that escaped containment or if this was just a fluke, you know, jump in evolution of the virus. Okay, but whatever. You know, China, you know, was responsible for the outbreak, infected the world, damaged the entire global economy, put, you know, economies into a, you know, into a downward spiral, right? They, they caused so much pain, suffering, and death, and yet they are profiting from it because of all of the corrupt politicians that have outsourced you know, so much of our manufacturing and vital industries to, you know, China, you know, because they always go off, international trade is good no matter what. All right. No, that is not the case. They put no thought into anything. You know, we've had politicians all over the world selling out their people and putting everything into China. I mean, China's being propped up by the rest of the world. But anyways... So they caused a global pandemic, and now they're profiting because they're primarily the only place in which all the medical equipment, you know, the personal protective equipment, you know, that people need, it's almost all exclusively made in China. You know, so they not only caused a global outbreak that, 
you know, killed millions of or killed hundreds of thousands of people, infected millions of people globally, you know, caused so much financial pain, hardship, tanking economies, causing, you know, starvation. And they're profiting big off of it because everyone has to buy all the equipment from them. It's a great read. And also you can go to Breitbart and the article is former conservative party leader warns China's evil regime using pandemic to increase global power. You know, and if this was manufactured as a bioweapon, then it's doing exactly what, you know, China wanted it to do. You know, disrupt all other countries while they benefit financially from it. You know, there has to be, something has to be done. You know, now we know the Democrats will never hold China accountable. In fact, they're on China's side saying, who cares what the virus did to people? You know, we're going to support China and any attempts to hold China accountable for all the deaths, you know, is just racist, xenophobic rhetoric. It, It is just horrible what has been done. Okay. So speaking of William Barr, you know, he goes out there and he points out some information that the left really dislikes, you know, and that is looking at actual data here. What am I talking about? Well, guns, the second amendment. So for the longest time, the Democrats have been out there once again, promoting a myth that the only way to get gun violence under control is, you know, gun control, you know, that we need to go off and limit this exercise of the Second Amendment and blaming the Second Amendment for all these mass shootings. Right? They've been trying to go off and say the only way we can get security is by surrendering some of our rights. But it's interesting to note here when we take a look at the actual data, you know, which is, you know, let's say, you know, from 2017 to 2019, on average, there was about 11 mass shootings a year. You know, what you could say was, you know, double the rate of the three previous years during that time. Hmm. What happened through 2017 through 2019? Oh, yes, they're left completely freaked out over President Trump. All right. Now, saying that was double the rate. So maybe on an average year prior to 2017, there was five mass shootings. And then they can go off and talk about all the gun deaths that have occurred. Of course, they include suicide as gun violence you know, in order to, you know, push up the statistics. But what has happened this year? What has happened in 2020? Hmm, the massive pandemic. Well, what happened during the massive pandemic? Well, we saw, you know, um, Democrats releasing violent criminals from prisons because of, you know, COVID-19 concerns, while simultaneously saying that, Police protection will not be provided. They're limiting police protection, and basically, you're on your own. The left has gotten violent. The left is violently assaulting people. The left is celebrating, leftist radicals celebrating murdering people who they disagree with politically, or just people who they think looks like someone who supports a politician they don't like, right? Calling them Nazis releasing violent criminals, and then the police are being told to stand down and not protect anybody. So what's happening? This year has, you know, blown out any previous record. 
on gun sales. Gun sales have just shot through the roof this year. But gun violence is down. Mass shootings, they are down. You know, it, it is really amazing. You know, because if the left was right, you know, about, you know, gun and gun violence, then you would expect that record sales would lead to a massive increase in gun violence. And yet there's been a massive de- decrease in gun violence. Well, why is that? Hmm. Maybe because, once again, the Republicans were correct. They were correct in their assessment that, you know, the reason for most gun violence is criminals are cowards. They target the vulnerable. And when they think, you know, because of the area that they live in, that the chances that you have the ability to protect yourself, they get their guns illegally. They can't buy them legally. They get them, you know, through the black market. You know, so because we have unsecured borders, guns flow freely across the border, just as they do drugs. And they, and criminals get their hands on them. And because of all the restrictions and, you know, attacks on Second Amendment rights, you know, people, you know, haven't had the ability to defend themselves. You know, and so, yes, criminals believing because of the area that they live in that you're not able to defend yourself and they themselves are the only ones who are going to have a gun in a particular situation are emboldened to engage in crimes. But now criminals seeing Record gun sales shooting through the roof. Everyone's buying guns. I mean, gun manufacturers are having a hard time keeping up with demands for guns. Well, they're taking, they're having second thoughts here. They're, they're going through and they're like, well, shoot. Chances are now that most of the people that I will come across are armed. They have the ability to fight back. So now the risk of trying to do armed robbery of someone, someone randomly on the street, turning into the criminal likely to get shot too, or likely to get shot for doing so, you know, because eventually they're going to have to try and run away. Even if they catch you by surprise, they're going to have to run away at some point or walk away, you know, and, you know, and so the moment they start doing that, what are you going to do? You're going to reach for your gun, but they don't know if you have a gun and they're not going to get close enough to pat you down because then that puts them in a vulnerable situation. You know, they need to make sure that they maintain distance, have the gun pointed at you, and have you tossed to them, you know, your money or, you know, your wallet. But knowing that you are now likely to be armed, well, all of a sudden, they no longer have the courage. They no longer have the courage to engage in all the gun violence and gun crimes. You know, they don't have the courage to go in to a vulnerable area because, you know, chances are people are not abiding by the gun-free, you know, zones anymore, you know, and, you know, are just gathering in, you know, public. And now when they go into a crowd, you know, and thinking about the idea of shooting up a crowd, you know, and realizing that there's probably in uh, 20, you know, 20, 30, 50 people, depending on the size of the crowd, who also have guns who can fire back at you. Well, that kind of changes the calculus a little bit. Unless you're, com- unless you're intending to commit suicide. It's as we have seen, you know, consistently, the more people who exercise their Second Amendment rights, the less gun violence there actually is. More gun ownership, less gun violence. 
less gun ownership and criminals believing that they're the only ones likely to be armed in a situation, the more gun violence. And the left, they really do not like this fact. Okay. Now, it's interesting because it's now starting to seem like the left is losing its, you know, grapple on the culture. You know, as more celebrities are now coming out and openly criticizing how the left behaves and acts and openly supporting, you know, Republicans, or maybe not even just openly supporting uh, Republicans, but criticizing the condescending, patronizing, and hypocritical left. And how if you, you know, are a Christian or you have any conservative beliefs, you know, they're out to destroy your career. I mean, we've seen it, um, you know, in the music industry with rappers such as Kanye West and apparently 50 Cent, you know, supports, you know, President Trump. But then now you take a look at Hollywood actors themselves, big names. You know, big names like Matthew McConaughey, you know, was on Joe Rogan and he was criticizing the left for being condescending and patronizing and, you know, just completely intolerant. Know that they've become everything that they claim that they are fighting against. Intolerance, hypocritical bigots. You know? And so now we start seeing more and more, you know, of celebrities and, you know, across, you know, various entertainment industries. Now, now, of course, you know, it's not, you know, a majority or a half. You know, it's, you know, just a minority at this particular point. But more and more of them are starting to come forward. Now, I wouldn't be surprised, though, if some of them are now starting to come forward and, you know, maybe some of them are are only going to say, hey, you know, we got all these, all these other celebrities pushing for left wing causes. There's no more left wing audience to compete for. But what about the Fox News approach? Hmm. Maybe if I start catering to, the right wing, you know, and my public views. Maybe if I start, you know, engaging in movies, you know, that are friendly to right wing views or supportive of right wing views, then maybe that movie can make lots and lots of money. And I can make lots and lots of money doing it because I'm going to go for, you know, this whole other demographic that is being ignored called 50% of the country and let everybody else, you know, compete for, you know, that other, I'm going to go to where there's less competition and I'm going to be able to make out really, really big doing it. I mean, I mean, why they haven't figured out the whole Fox news strategy, which is, Hey, um, there's this whole 50% of the market that is being ignored. So why don't we just kind of, you know, cater to them, be nice to them, you know, because, you know, the other half of the country, you know, the market's flooded. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is just kind of my personal thoughts and views on this. But, you know, as more and more celebrities start getting a backbone or feeling free to speak up, the left keeps freaking out. Now, where is this going to go? I don't know. Anybody. I have no idea because so long as, you know, there's just a few people that are going to make the decisions over which actors are going to get which parts, 
you know, chances are, you know, so many celebrities are just going to go along and publicly promote and support whatever the left wants, you know, because they want to make millions of dollars, right? And if going against left-wing view means their career is dead, well, you know, what's selling out every principle you may have? You know, what is every principle you may have in comparison to a $10 million paycheck? Hmm? You know, just kind of thinking there, you know. And, of course, Hillary Clinton is back in the news saying she was born to be president. Well, no, you weren't. You're not president. Therefore, you were not born to be president. You know, or a woman would have handled, you know, the coronavirus better, especially if it were me. Blah, blah, blah. You know, same thing as Barack Obama. Go the hell away. No one gives a shit about you anymore. You're a has-been. And you were a horrible politician. You had nothing but strings of failures, failed policies everywhere you went. Every, every place where you were ever in control became a dumpster fire. You were, you know, um, a horrible first lady, a mediocre center, uh, senator, and a garbage secretary of state. All right. Just go away. You're a complete moron. All right. So that's it uh, for this episode. I'd like to thank you so much for tuning in. Please leave me a rating and a review so other people can find me in the chart. And share this on social media, assuming that my podcast has not been banned from being able to be posted. All right. Thank you so much. And I will be back again soon, which, you know, during the election, or at least up until the election, I may be going towards a daily show for a little while, just to see if you like it. All right. Thank you so much. I will be back again soon.